It is good to see your bodies. Doesn't sound very good, does it? It's good. It is good to see your bodies, and it's great to hear your voices. Welcome to worship. I'd like to quickly review where we have been these past nine months, and then move us forward as we continue to try to become a people who flourish in exile. Jim, can I have slide number two, please? So last November, we unveiled this to you, and this has been our hope and our dream over the next two years. This is what we're trying to be and do as a community of faith called Third Church. So up on the outside of this is something called Flourishing in Exile, and that's been our vision sentence for the year. If you remember, it goes Flourishing in Exile, Thriving in Post-Christendom. So in the middle, the big, big, bold words are the core values that we're trying to embed into our hearts, into our lives, into our relationships over these next several years. We begin with intimacy, created for deep connection with God. We have identity. We know who and whose we are. Belonging, created for deep connection with each other. And then purpose, sent with significance for kingdom impact. Since 2002, we've tried to be a word and spirit church, meaning rightly balancing God's word and God's spirit as we seek to become these kinds of people living off these values. In the very center is the ends policy. And this is the purpose for Third Church. And it goes like this. The people called Third Church will be people who, who others experience with these things. That's us. People experience from us the fruit of the spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those who experience third church, that's us, will see a people who are being closely drawn into the circle of love, the triune God. And now we move to the third piece. The people who experience this are going to learn to know a people who are growing in generosity. But generosity is going to take some very interesting twists and turns. So can I have slide number um, three, please? I don't want to go through it all now, but if you want to find the description for the series and what's going to happen by week, there's your, your obviously way to find it. It's on the website. The next slide, please. So what we're going to do over these next six weeks, the Lord willing, is to look at expressing goodness, flourishing through generosity, through these themes. Worship today, worship. And then community. And then work. And equity. And creation care. And rest. We flourish in exile as these themes are played out through our lives and they express this incredible generosity of our God. So having said that, can I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. We're going to look at two passages, Matthew 6, and we're also, Lord willing, going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We can begin to talk about this generosity idea as it relates to worship. And Jesus has some powerful things to say in Matthew 6. Just a few verses, beginning at verse 19. Matthew 6, I'm going to read verses 19 through 24. I'm going to read it through, and then I'd like to show you some of the deeper um, ideas behind it. So chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, could you let for one second? Listen, listen, listen to a sentence I wrote about that. In Matthew 6, Jesus is not giving us a thermometer to measure the temperature of our hearts. In Matthew 6, he is giving us a thermostat to change the temperature of our hearts. Because whatever we 
treasure. We give our hearts to and we worship. So what I'm going to say very gently today is this. Those whose hearts are given to the God mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N, are stingy with their hearts, with their lives, and with what they possess. But people whose hearts are worshiping the true God are people whose hearts, whose lives, whose lifestyle is generous. So look what Jesus says next. I'm going to read, read clearly and then explain it to you. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now let me go back. Verse 22. The word eye is a euphemism for the word heart. The heart is the lamp of your body. If your heart is healthy, and the subword for health is generous, if your heart is generous, your whole body will be full of light. And then he says, but if your heart is stingy, not the word unhealthy, stingy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, if the reality of my heart is darkness, then what does he say? How great is that darkness? So look what he says next. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, let me go back to the phrase, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So you know what the word darkness can also be translated as? Selfishness. If the darkness in you is selfish, how great is the selfishness? So listen now. Worship is fundamentally about economics. Jesus said what? Whatever you treasure, that's where your heart goes. Where your heart goes, your body goes. Where your body goes, your attitudes go. Whatever you worship, God or mammon, listen now, worship is fundamentally about economics. Ooh, give me some sentences. Listen to this. Jim, can I have slide number seven? This, is, this comes from a book, Practicing the King's Economy. I love this. Forgive, forgive the cheesy W's. The love, the worship of money, mammon. Before I go farther, let me just stop. Do you notice in verse 24, it says you cannot serve both God and money. In the Greek, it is a capital M. It's mammon. It's the name of a demon. Jesus is saying either you're going to love this triune God last seven weeks, this circle of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this beautiful relationship of love and acceptance. You love and are connected to that one, or you're connected to the demon whose name is Mammon. And Jesus said, you can't love both. Either you love this one, the triune God who embraces us, 
who holds us in this life, the life to come, this beautiful circle of love, and ex- or, or, or we are drawn to mammon. Listen to these sentences. Listen to these sentences. The love of money wounds the worshiper. It woos us, it seduces us away from the faith, and it wells up in all sorts of evil. Now, I'm going to show you where that comes from. It's 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, just a moment. But let me read a couple more things to you. But there's more. Because love of money pushes love for God out of my heart, it pushes me to the center of my life. No longer am I shaped by God's glory, God's goodness, God's kingdom, and all that's so beautiful, and my life becomes all about me and what I crave, what I need, and my selfishness. Because our material possessions so often seduce us into worshiping like gods, listen now, they pose possibly the number one threat to worshiping God. You know how many, how, verses, how many verses in the Bible talk about possessions or money? 2,430. The number one thing Jesus talked about was the kingdom of God. What was number two? Money. Why? Because wherever our treasure is, that's where our hearts are, and that's where we worship. So fundamentally, listen to this now, worship is fundamentally an economic issue. Who or what am I worshiping? So a couple more things now. Let me jump into this. I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 6. Can you turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6? I'm just watching you pull back from me. Congregation on TV, don't pull back from me. Stay close, stay close. We're good. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is just really, really interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take you through... Just read chapter 6, 6 through 9, 6 through 10, and then chapter 6, 17 through 19, and focus then in verses 9 and 10. So St. Paul's writing, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now look at this warning. This is what I want to come back to in just a moment. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Slide eight. So watch the progression. Remember, worship. our worship is fundamentally about which God we're giving ourselves to. So what does St. Paul write? Now be careful if you're going to worship this God mammon. Here's the progression. We fall into temptation. What kind of temptations? Envy, greed, lust, affairs, idolatry. What are all the things that we fall into if we worship mammon? What happens next? We become ensnared in a trap. See, what's so interesting to me is our spiritual enemy is so deceptive. The devil makes everything look so good on the outside. It's like a door. Just imagine. Just imagine. Can you imagine? Look over here. You all can't see it. There, these, these are curtains here that open up. Imagine, here's this big door. And you can walk through it. And this side, oh, this side is awesome. It's unbelievable. And you walk through on the other side, and there's this hideous, 
hideous, evil, demonic power, and they entraps us. The Old Testament prophets said we become like the gods we worship. So what's crazy about mammon, mammon just grabs us. So we become ensnared in a trap, and then what? We give in to foolish and harmful desires. We start playing with stuff we shouldn't play with. We start doing stuff we shouldn't probably be doing, but we're ensnared. We're falling in temptation. Why? Because our treasure, our hearts, are on the wrong God. Well, then what happens? We plunge into ruin. And then what? Destruction. And then what? All kinds of evil, which because what? Causes us to wander from the faith. And what happens? It pierces us with so many griefs. The ultimate story for me, ultimate story, when I was a young pastor in California, probably 35 years ago, my parents' neighbor across the street, a very well-to-do family, owned all kinds of dry cleaners and different things and stuff in California. And on this woman's deathbed, she demanded that a lawyer be present, a detective, and then my father and I were the pastors. And we were to watch all her financial holdings, her jewelry, back in the day, her CDs, her cash. It was all placed into her casket. A special casket was made, and everything was doubly locked. The keys went to the attorney, and we were to wait until the casket was in the ground and all the dirt was thrown on it. Now, that's an extreme story, but would you think through who you worship? How, how does your relationship with mammon affect your flourishing? I mean, if, if, I, if I miss you, let, let, so, big umbrella mercy, but let's just say I misuse credit cards. And pretty soon I've maxed it out, and I have another credit card, and I max it out. And pretty soon I'm in this tremendously difficult place. Think through all of that. I fall into temptation. I become ensnared in a trap. I give into foolish desires, which plunges me and my family into ruin. It results in destruction of relationships. Just play it through. And Jesus says to us in Matthew 6, you can't love God and you can't love money. So when tragedy and hard times and great losses, when we lose children and just horrors happen, if we have given ourselves to mammon, what does the God mammon do when we find ourselves in very, very challenging moments? Nothing. But what about this one whose name is Jesus? If our hearts are connected to Christ and his kingdom, when tragedies and hard times fall, it doesn't just get easier and better, but it begins with his presence and his goodness and his fruit. And somehow, by God's grace, we're able to negotiate some of the great challenges of life but it all depends on who or what 
we're worshiping. So I'm pastor for 40 years. So far, not at one single funeral, I've done more than 500 funerals. Has there been a U-Haul with everybody's possessions right behind the hearse? You got an urn with some ashes. Or you got a dead body. And that's what you got. And if we have given ourselves to mammon, oh, 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 oh. What pain. Well, let's go on chapter 6. Let me go on. Chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. So then St. Paul writes, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope, that is to have a future expectation in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope, their future expectation in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to look at the three things, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this same way, they lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they'll take hold of the life that is to come. So, do you see why? I'm looking at you. Help me. Am I making sense about worship, who you worship? Is this making sense to you? Okay, so, so, so who you worship what you worship is com- pushes what you, what you invest in. So if we worship God, the living God, we invest in people. We invest in relationships. We invest in the things that last eternally. If we worship mammon, we just, we want to, let me just show you what I wrote. Um, slide 10, Jim. Look at this. Homo economicus. Thank you for just writing that real quick. Back, back, I got so much to tell you, I just can't. Back one slide. Oh, here we go. Here's, here, here's, here's the word homo economicus. It is, it is human economy. This, according to those who study our economy, is the description of the American economic system. Here it is. People at their core, this is the American economic system, are solitary individuals whose lives are devoted to increase their pleasure through consuming more and more and more material goods and increase in leisure. According to those who study economics, that's the American economic system. Next slide, so look what happens. Those who are driven by homo economics, economicus, have eternity amnesia. This moment, right now, is all there is. Material things are going to make me happy. And you know, you, know, you, know the, you, know the, you know all the stuff. When you buy something, you, have, you get about a 15-second release of dopamine, and it feels really good until you get the bill, right? So these material things can satisfy, and the, the paradise is to be chief ASAP, should be a P, as soon as possible. But what if, what if you're worshiping the triune God? What if you're worshiping the one who says, remember the circle of love, Ephesians chapter one, the one who chose you, who adopted you, who redeemed you, who blesses you, who's gonna make all things full one day and right, if that's where life is, 
we recognize this moment is not all there is. And I said this a few weeks ago, and I want to say it to some friends here today. When we lose those we love, if we have given ourselves only to ourselves and mammon, we are absolutely bereft. But if we worship the living God, this moment is not all there is. And we know material things cannot satisfy. And we know that one day all will be made right. You see, worship is fundamentally an economic issue. Who am I worshiping? Mammon? Or the living God? Go back to slide number eight again. I wanted to push on this now. This is so important. You see this chapter six, nine, and ten. This is the, this, so let, let me, Remember now Jesus said, your heart, your eyes, eyes, heart, what's ever in your heart reveals what's in your person. Look, look at this. So I don't want to be yucky of spirit, but how many of us have at times followed this progression? And then what happens? So what do we do about it? Well, can I have slide number 11? These are the words that would come to you with, with all humility and respect, if I may. Words like simplicity and gratitude and contentment and generosity. What if, what if, what if we say, remember now, we'll go, let me go back. Last, last series, the circle of love. Father, Son, and Spirit are in this incredible relationship of love and joy and welcome and blessing and acceptance and, and mutual submission in this beautiful thing. And that's where we're going someday. If we are secure in that, our, our, our identity is in the circle of love. See, I'm, I'm going to push, push for a minute. You, remember what I told you, oh gosh, nine, ten weeks ago. In the second century, as the earliest church fathers and mothers are trying to figure out how to describe the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, there was a sentence that we used that goes like this. Those who do not have a theology of the, Holy, of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, this circle of love, listen, those who do not have a theology of the Trinity, this is in the second century. The scholar said they will be filled with anxiety and fear. What are you seeing on your phones all day long? What are we seeing on our screens all day long? Anxiety and fear. Let me go back to my series, last series. So we have God the Father who's an old guy with long hair who's way over there somewhere. And then we have Jesus who's sitting on a throne, but he's not here, but he, did, he redeemed us. We, that, that's good. And, and then we got the Holy Spirit and, well, who knows what to do with the Holy Spirit? And so, so how, what does life become? 
Watch how insidious this is. If we don't have this theology of Father, Son, and Spirit, it is so easy to worship mammon. Let me just give you a little church history, our history of the Christian faith. You know what Baal worship was? Asherah worship, you know what that was? Baal worship and Asherah worship were all about sexual stuff in the church, in the temple. Why? Because it was believed by the ancients the sexual union of the gods in heaven would release liquid from the sexual union which fell to earth as rain. So if you were an agrarian culture and you needed rain for your crops, you had to keep Baal and Asherah happy. And so if you read the text of the Old Testament, even as the people are saying, we will worship the one true God, they were also worshiping Baal and Asherah. Why? Because they said it's got to rain. And so we're going to manipulate the gods to make it rain because we got to have money. And so their whole theology was worship mammon. And it's so easy when we don't have a theology of Father, Son, and Spirit who love us eternally and joyfully and beautifully forever. If we just got, we got to suck it up and do it on our own, then we just got to get whatever we can right now. Well, let me close with this. Go back to 11 again. I'm going to talk to these three things. So what, what if, what if in generosity, what if these are specific action steps? How could, you, how could we all simplify what we have or what we own. What are ways it is said that we spend 80% of our time caring for 20% of what we own? Just do an inventory. What do we never use? And share it. Simplicity. How about gratitude? St. Paul writes, I have learned to be content, whether in plenty or in want. What can we be grateful for? I read yesterday a book about a place in Wales, and it really touched my heart yesterday. This place in Wales, when all they do is they bless people. They just bless people. They just say words of blessing. Whenever they see someone, they just say, Lord, bless you with whatever comes to their heart. Just bless, bless. Blessed. There's this place in rural Wales where people from all over the world are coming because the sense of God is so great. And it comes out of a small community of people who are so grateful. They just bless. They just bless. They just bless. They just say blessing. Blessing. They are so grateful. They just bless. Oh my, what happens to our heart? How about contentment? Can we learn to be content with what we have? How about generosity? And I wanted to say thank you about our church's generosity. I've, I've thought about this series in light of our church. So I just want to say thank you to you for your ways you have contributed to the ministry of this church. But let me give you what's really cool for me. Last year, your generosity was so significant and the budget you approved and met 
Do you know how much money we gave away last year? 32.9% of all the money you gave. I'll bring it personal. How much money do I give? I'm not talking to third church. Don't hear that. I'm talking about how much do I give? Do I give away a third? Why is it important? Because wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart is. So how do we worship well? We say, Lord, remind us who you are. We are invited to live in a circle of love. Remind us how we can live like that, simply. What we don't have to need to keep, can we just share? Can we be grateful? I'm going to try this. I'd like you to help me. Would, would you help me with this? Hold me accountable for this. I'm going to try to do what those people in Wales do. So when I see you, if I don't say a blessing, would you just gently call me on it? It's going to sound cheesy at first, I know. I bless you because you're cool. You know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Listen, but there's something about saying words that honor. There's something that happens. There's an exchange. And that comes out of a heart that says, I want to be part of the circle of love with a God, for God so loved the world he gave. So quick, quick reflection questions. Since on the website, two questions that I, and I feel bad that we can't do this together because of, um, you know why. Here's the first question. How is my relationship with money shaping my heart and influencing my relationship with God and others? May I say to those of us who, who feel as though I don't have enough money, maybe we could strive to say, Lord, would you help me learn to find some margin? And for those who have more than enough money, maybe those persons can say, when is enough enough? And can we grow together as a people who worship the God who gives so beautifully? You see, brothers and sisters, worship fundamentally is an economic issue. Will you come back next week? Let's pray. Lord, we want to say thank you that you are such a gracious and giving and generous and loving and present and amazing God. How we thank you that nothing can separate us from your life and your love. So we thank you that you invite us to be deeply connected to you. Would you free us from the love of money so that we could worship you with heart and soul and spirit and body? And as we do, we thank you. You'll give us joy. You'll provide contentment. You'll offer hope. So Lord, for these next days, would you help us to surrender? We want to surrender to you, to your love, to your kingdom, to your will and your way. So hear our prayers. 
You empower us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.